This is Growing the Valley, a podcast by the University of California Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Miller, Orchard Systems Advisor for Butte, Tehama, and Glen Counties. I'm your other host, Phoebe Gordon, Orchard Systems Advisor for Madera and Merced Counties. All right, today on Growing the Valley podcast, we are going to have a look back on the pest management season of 2022. On the podcast today, we have David Haviland, Jalindra Rijal, and Sudan Gwali. David, Jalindra, and Sudan all cover entomology or IPM in various parts of the Central Valley from the north to the south extremes here. So David, let's start in the south. What's your title, the major crops you work in, and and how many years you've been on the job? Yeah, so David Haviland, I'm the Cooperative Extension Advisor in Kern County that covers entomology and pest management. I've been here for 20 years, and I'm responsible for all the commodities grown in the South Valley, uh, though most of my time has been spent in permanent crops. Excellent. And as we move north, it's going to be great to have these differences in geography as well as experience and what folks are hearing from the growers and PCAs in their area. Jalindra, you're up next. My name is Jalindra Rizal. I'm an ADI IPM advisor. I'm also an entomologist by training. So I cover most of the entomological issues, uh, arthropod pest management, as David mentioned, in all crops. But in terms of your program areas and research focus is mostly the permanent crops. And uh, I cover northern part of San Joaquin Valley and mostly almonds, walnuts, cherries, peaches, and some other field crops also. Excellent. And the newest IPM advisor is Sudan Gwali. Both David and Jalindra are familiar voices to Growing the Valley. They've both been on multiple times in the past, but uh, Sudan, you are new to your role as an IPM advisor. So could you let us know about your title, uh, some of your major crops as well as how long right now you've been on the job? Uh, hi, this is Sudan Gewali, and I'm area IPM advisor for the Northern Sac Valley. And as both Salendra and David mentioned, I am responsible for all the crops grown in the region. However, the major crops I cover are almond, walnuts, peaches, and prunes. And I just started took this position about six months ago, so I'm pretty new here. Excellent. Well. As one of my colleagues, I can definitely say we feel very lucky to have you. This is a position that Emily Sims was in and Carolyn Pickle before her. So some really great folks filled this role in the past. And I feel so very fortunate to have you as a colleague, student. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. David, could you paint a picture for us for what things look like in IPM? going into this 2022 uh, tree crop uh, field season? Well, you know, right now in the off season, we're right where we always are. Uh, that means that PCAs and growers are getting back their grade sheets, uh, looking to see how things did with navel orange in particular and, and with brown spot, you know, with stink bug damage. And they're just, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do next year. Uh, it's, it's kind of that simple. The big factor that's added into that, though, is just a financial situation. So, you know, you're always trying to figure out what to do based on what happened, based on experience, based on what you're seeing. 
but also all growers are trying to figure out what they can do to minimize input costs just so that their bottom line for this next year is to break even and you know, hopefully make some money with uh, projections for prices. Excellent. Yeah, definitely entering 2022 already. Uh, folks were knowing that all their costs of inputs, whether it's a spray or fertilizer, were way up. And of course, the situation isn't any better. <laughs> if anything, it's it's worse now a year later. You know, from a pest management standpoint, pesticides cost similar to what they did, but application costs are up, no doubt. The other big factor is sanitation. That's a big labor expense. You've got the equipment going through, but particularly if you hire a polling crew, finding those people and paying them is a lot more than it used to be. And so there's a lot of growers really assessing uh, the amount of effort that they're going to put into sanitation. They know it's extremely important. They know they should do it. But you know, when you have to pay the bill for it, it gets a little, little more difficult to do as much as you would want to do in all of your orchards. So that's just a, a decision people are going to have to make. And in the cases where they just can't quite afford the full package on sanitation, they're trying to figure out where to invest that money next year. You know, that might be, for example, augmenting what they do for main disruption. They haven't done that before. So that's the type of decisions people are making uh, right now in the off season to prepare for next year. Excellent. That's a really good foundation for where we are now and where we were a year ago as well. That season of being able to dust off the boots and try to look at, you know, what happened and where you're going now. Definitely some need to save money wherever you can. Jalindra, tell us a little bit about some of the things that happened early on in the season for you. I know both for you, Sudan, and myself, freeze was a really important part of at least the Ammond pest management season. Yeah, really. That's one of the kind of early season hiccup that uh, almond grower got, uh, in addition to what we already described, price situation, not finding the crew, and all other things. So not everybody got impacted by the frost, but whenever they got impacted, then uh, of course there is loss for those growers. And plus also in general, the light crop and one of the kind of discussion I am having in some of the consultant uh, last week was at least a good thing that we can take from the freeze damage is that even though the crop was light and this year, the naval jump pressure and damage to almond crops remains relatively low. There is no zero number in here, but even when you have the pest pressure is relatively low, that's the good sign compared to when you have, you know, huge pressure and you also have the low crop. And so, yeah, of course, the freeze dam is impacted the almonds and also in some of the walnut orchard in a sort of like a pocket. But that was early season, and then the people were worried about that overall. But I would say that, yeah, Naval Onejum, low damage year late in the season, somehow compensated in most of the cases. Excellent. Yeah, it's good to hear, at least on the Naval Orangeworm front, that although the crop was reduced, you didn't also have really high pest pressure. So there's nothing worse than having both low quantity and also low quality. But Jalindra, I know that you did see some increases in some of the pests with the piercing sucking mouth parts, that there were some brown spots on almonds. So kind of what did you see there? 
That is for sure. That's true. We see increased brown spot based on the blue diamond numbers in the last time that I talked to. It seems like it's less worse than last year. But when we do the uh, you know brown spot or overall stink bug survey throughout the San Joaquin Valley, we found a pretty increased infestation of these stink bug and ultimately the brown spot damage at harvest. And so that is definitely a concerning trend. And uh, some cases we're seeing more brown spot damage than Nebulonja in our various different orchard that we collected the samples. You know, when you talk about the brown spot, we always put these kind of like a one term, but there are a lot of insect involved in it. Could be the leaf-footed bug, various kinds of stink bug. Of course, in a northern San Joaquin Valley, we're concerned about brown marmorated stink bug. And whenever we see these BMSB, new invasive species in the orchard, and they certainly do a pretty substantial damage early part of the season and pretty much throughout the season also. Also, in certain orchard that also got hammered by the green stink bug damage this year, a lot more in northern San Joaquin Valley. And I know that David know that it's green stink bug is much more prevalent in southern part of the San Joaquin Valley, given the other crops in the area and field crops and corn and tomato and whatnot. But this year, we're seeing a lot more activity of green stink bug in our area also. And I think many growers caught off guard with these infestation late in the season from this pest too. So again, the brown spot is a one term, but it's kind of complicated also because of the multiple factors and multiple phenology of these different various piercing, sucking mouth part insect and what time of the day they occur in the orchard. So it is the brown spot is still the sort of like a top list, you know, after naval onjum in our area in general. And it was the same thing in the kind of middle part of the San Joaquin Valley also based on the, some of the colleagues that I talked to. And David also probably would provide a little bit more input on that too. Yeah. David, what did you see when it came to these kind of true bugs with the piercing sucking mouth parts? Certainly, it seems to me that these are tough, tough pests to manage because the traps for them are so-so or non-existent. You kind of got to be out there in the field, you know, beating branches and really take a hard look. So it requires a really high level of monitoring, and then you got to spray right away and kind of nuke them back. So if growers are trying to pinch pennies, they may not have been doing that kind of high level of management. Yeah, Jolinda's right. This was absolutely the year of the stink bug for us. So let me just set this up with a little bit of a historical perspective because almond growers, when it comes to sustainability, are doing awesome. More than almost any other industry I know, they have converted from a very broad spectrum insecticide-based production system to a very green, very sustainable system. But here's what's happened. Used to be they sprayed dormant applications of broad spectrum products for San Jose scale in the South Valley. Now they rely exclusively on biocontrol. Those sprays are gone. It used to be they used organophosphates, you know, like guthion or lorsban and pyrethroids for naval orange room in season. They don't do that anymore because they know that the pyrethroids, there's resistance in naval orange room and because they're trying to conserve the six spotted thrips that have been phenomenal for spider mites. You know, we just don't see defoliated trees anymore in almonds like we used to. And that's all because of biocontrol. 
So growers have now gone two, three, four straight years with no organophosphates and no pyrethroids in their almond orchards. And in year one, there's a couple of stink bugs. In year two, there's a few more. Year three, there's a few more. And somewhere in that year three to four, they get absolutely blindsided. Um, and I mean, I, I talked to lots of growers in the last couple of weeks that are reporting double digit brown spot damage in their samples. And, you know, these are growers that are doing everything right with navel orange worm and mites, conserving their biocontrol. They're using mating disruption for navel orange worm. Their NRW damage is down in the 2% or under. And then they're getting hit with 8, 10, 12% brown spot. And basically what's happening there is their PCAs are doing a great job monitoring for leaf-footed bug, you know, in March, April, and May. And leaf-footed bugs, yeah, it's around, it's spotty. Every now and then you have to treat for it, but it hasn't been a big deal. And then when June comes around, they, they kind of let their guard down a little bit. And either the stink bugs are there or they migrate in. And they're very camouflaged. They're very hard to see. They're in the tops of the trees. You know, the hulls are kind of hardening off. So people think the nuts are a little more protected, a little more safe. And, you know, during the month of June in nonpareils or in the month or, you know, maybe of July for Monterey's or Aldrich or, you know, so later varieties, the stink bugs are coming in. And yeah, like I said, tops in the trees, you don't see them. You don't have all the gamosis on the nut like you do an early season leaf footed bug. And so you get all these stings and the grower thinks they're going into harvest clean. And then they get their grade sheets with these massive brown spot numbers. So unfortunately, the stink bugs in particular, green stink bugs, specifically for us in the South Valley, we used to control it secondarily with the broad spectrum products used for other pests. And now that we're not doing that anymore, this secondary pest is absolutely now a primary pest that has to be dealt with. So some sort of broad spectrum material has to come back into the system, you know, whether that's a, a dormant pyrethroid or maybe a May spray or a June spray. Um, but that's that's something growers right now, that, that's sort of the, you know, the coffee shop talk right now among the local South Valley uh, growers and PCAs is what is the best time to go in and clean up a stink bug problem without disrupting the biological control for spider mites? Excellent, David. And I so appreciate you uh, zooming out a little bit because it's important sometimes with the highlights of a single season to lose sight that uh, those highlights are there because of something that's been going on for several years, like you know, doing away with these broad spectrum sprays that were controlling what were secondary pests and are now becoming much more primary pests since we're not getting the uh, free control for them and they've been building up. I mean, I already mentioned this, but just to clarify, green stink bug is our problem in the South Valley, and it does reside in the orchard all year. It's not like some of the other species that are migratory. I mean, it can migrate in, you know, when we harvest tomatoes or corn or something like that, uh, but it can be there all year. So that's our main problem. And then as Jalinder said, you know, they've got the green stink bug up in his area. And then on top of that, there's the whole brown marmorated stink bug issue that fortunately we don't have left in the South Valley yet, but, you know, farther up North, Jalinder and others are having to deal more with that on top of the existing stink bug problem. One thing that I want to add onto that, the excellent broad perspective from David. Yeah, there, there is a situation where we tend to go towards these softer 
product or no biocontrol disrupt some type of product. In one hand, it is working really well because that's the, another thing that when we talk to Gore and PCA these days, more and more you see, well, we don't have mite pressure, at least in the northern part of the San Joaquin Valley. The mite pressure is really pretty much gone. <laughs> the people mm-hmm. don't talk about mites anymore. It's a little different story for walnuts, in especially in the northern part, like in Sacramento Valley this year. But in terms of in our area, in almonds, the mite pressure was really, really low. And even if it came, it's late in the season, nobody talked about the mites. And that, I think it's mostly contributed by the biocontrol is conserved in the orchard and based on the program and practices in the place. I think there is a dilemma there, right? Because of that, you have one thing it's going on right way. And then there is a stink bug now moving into and causing more damage. It's definitely a challenge. Jalinder makes a fabulous point. So almond growers have gotten rid of all of those broad spectrum products. And as he said, mites have gone away. Walnut growers are still, you know, for codling moth, they're quite sustainable. They're good. But for husk fly, walnut growers continue to pretty much anything that works to control husk fly is disruptive to biocontrol. So just a very interesting case study right there. You know, one crop where they've been able to control pests without broad spectrum products versus walnuts that's still batting for us fly. That's the difference between one crop having my problems kind of go away and the other crop still battling with them. So a, a pure testimony of the value of biocontrol when you can conserve it. And walnut growers are working hard to try to figure out how to do that. A very good comparison, and and we'll get more into the walnuts in a second. But I want to let Sudan go. Sudan, you did a a survey kind of talking informally with a number of PCAs once you were on the job this summer. And what did you learn about some of those Ammon pest management highlights for 2022 up here in the North Sac Valley? Okay, yeah. So I will start with the plant bug. In Northern Sac Valley, the plant bug was not a serious problem for most of the PCAs I spoke to. Some of them got hit hard by this pest. And again, uh, going back to some of the comments that David and Salinger made earlier, the cost of the produce is, I think, playing a role here because some of the PCAs said they saw the, the damage going on. They just skipped the spray because of the cost. So it's like when we talk about pesticide sprays, it's not just the, the cost of the pesticide. So there is a labor and there's a price of gas and everything involved. And plant bug, not a, a serious problem, but some people got hit hard. And nebulone zone, a lot of pieces I spoke to, they thought that was the, the worst nebulone zone year for almond. And again, the reason being the reduced investment in management and low crop size. The spider mite, uh, I have a little bit different version of what I heard here. Overall, not a serious problem mite-wise, but a lot of PCS, both walnut and almond growers and PCS, they believe that mite is becoming a serious problem in Northern Sacramento Valley. That's what I heard. And Disease-wise, the spring was fine, the not very wet year this year, but when we move into the summer, some people, again, escaped the fungicide spray and got hit by rust. So that's the challenge we had when it comes to disease management. And so a lot of issues here with uh, regards to pest management is the price of the management and sorry, price of the crop. So that's what I found. Indeed. And an interesting 
contrast here with the reduced crop and yet some low naval orangeworm levels with almonds in the north San Joaquin Valley there with Jalindra versus Sudan, a lot of orchards with no crop with almonds up in the far north and yet some increased naval orangeworm because growers skipped management altogether. David, what did you see in the South for navel orangeworm this season, both in almonds and you also work a lot in pistachios? Yeah, navel orangeworm was a, a relatively normal year for us. You know, in the South Valley, of course, every grower has been annihilated by navel orangeworm at some point. And so we're, we're pretty aggressive on this. But, you know, sanitation is a widespread practice down here. Everybody shakes their trees, blows, mows, destroys. Everyone does that. And then we've got mixed levels of polling crews to get down to two per tree. Just kind of depends on you know how many mummies are left, what the size of the tree is and that. Uh, but the growers in the South Valley take sanitation seriously. Mating disruption is quite widespread in the South Valley and is doing very well. All of our data shows that 1% damage is your break even to justify the cost. And that's kind of what everybody gets. And so, you know, everyone is either breaking even or getting a positive return on investment using main disruption. And then two insecticide sprays is common and people get their nuts out of the field as fast as they possibly can. And if you're doing all four of those things, navel orangeworms, uh, it's manageable. You're not going to come back with zeros, but you usually don't, you know, get hit really hard. And so just talking to growers this year, most people came in about where they would expect on navel orangeworm under that 2%. And then of course, you know, anyone that's got 10 fields has one, you know, that was just really high and you can't always figure out why that is. There's always these anomalies. They're not always the same fields, but overall kind of a normal to good navel orangeworm year, which is kind of frustrating when a you know, grower PCA says, Hey, I did great. I got my navel orangeworm and edibles down, you know, 1% or under, but my overall inedibles was at five or above because of brown spot. So that's kind of their frustration, but NOW is good. And the pistachios, likewise, kind of a, a normal year. The pistachios, the navel orangeworm damage is much more dictated by the phenology of the crop as far as hull slip and, you know, when it slips in relation to harvest and all that. But my phone's been relatively quiet from pistachio growers on NOW, which means I don't exactly know how things went this year. At the same time, the fact that I haven't gotten a lot of calls suggests that things went well because if things go bad, you know, everyone wants to know, you know, how to respond. Uh, and then the other pistachio side is just uh, Gill's mealybug. It's beginning to get harder to control. Uh, some of our existing products aren't working as well as they used to. And then pistachio growers are dealing with very, very stringent tolerances, uh, you know, MRLs for the European Union. And so some of the most common products that they've used in the past they simply can't use because no grower knows where their crop's going to go. Nuts just all get siloed with you know other growers. And so they all have to manage the crop as if it's going to be exported to the most stringent country. So yeah, limited possibilities for control and greater pressure and the pest is still spreading. So that continues to be a high discussion point of pistachio growers, how to kill it, but how to do it in a way that regulatorily will allow you to export anywhere in the world. Yes, those MRL issues in all of our crops are just going to become more and more of a issue for all of our growers because exporting to the EU is so important in all of these crops. Continuing here with the crops beyond almonds, Jalindra, how did walnuts look in the North San Joaquin Valley there in terms of quality or any entomology or other issues that growers called you up about? 
So before going into walnuts, I just want to make a couple of points about the almonds in Ebolonjo in the northern San Joaquin Valley. I want to say that we had pretty satisfactory, relatively, naval onjum damage-wise in the valley, similar to what David mentioned. But I would also say that based on the person who puts a trap throughout the season of all uh, egg traps and female traps and male traps, it's not necessarily because of the low pressure in the orchard or the population in the orchard. In fact, this year I caught a lot more eggs overall throughout the season compared to any season that I dealt with in the past. So it doesn't mean that they are not there. It's more of the, as we know, more of the timing of that second flight coming in and whether the split not happening at that time or not. I think in our case that whenever the that second flight came in uh, during the hull split time, hull was not still ready and majority mm-hmm. of the non-prior was. So that's the one thing that we always need to be careful if we get down to one or two percent. It doesn't mean that that number is not there, the population wise. And so that was the scenario, at least in my observation. And also, when you go to the third and fourth flight, these increased number of the moths and uh, their activities is still in there. So that would impact potentially next year. So that's one of the things that I want to share on almonds. If you go to walnut side, I mean, things were quite except the walnut husk fly. <laughs> so the cardling moth activity, not only this year, but the last year also was the same thing. It's pretty much, I would like to say it quiet. It's very quiet. Even getting five moths in a trap in a week is high number, some orchards. Of course, there is always orchard where there might be a little bit more activity and things like that. But overall, my impression, my trap counts, and then also the when I talk to the PCA and growers in the area, it's a very quiet year for carling moths. So it wasn't a big issue in the northern San Joaquin Valley. If you move on to the naval onjum, uh, again, as I said, the population was there, activity was there in traps and other places, but the damage was also very low, and which is a very good news, especially in walnut growers because of the price of the walnuts. Hey, Jalinder, I've been telling people this year the flight came early and the crop was on time. Would you say the same that's, for your area? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. When we started split, we were in peak second flight. Whereas normally we start split at the start of the second flight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So split was not late because people always think that they split early, but it's not. It's, it's always on time. And then the flight was a little earlier. Yeah, I heard that too. The PCs I talked to, they said there was a early flight. And I think that's true. Always true for Sacramento Valley, I guess. So, David, did you see what uh, Jalindra noted where growers kind of got lucky in terms of uh, how bad naval orange room was this year just because of how the phenology worked out? Oh, it's not a matter of luck. It's a matter of integrated pest management. Yeah, the flights were early. The crop was on time. So, you know, this was a year that timely harvest was as or perhaps more important than ever. Um, The insecticide sprays, most people timed them to the crop susceptibility more so than to the flights. That was done intentionally. And so it's a case where what we've been recommending as a UC for decades was implemented and it adjusted for what was sort of irregular for the season. So yeah, the pressure was there. The management program fit the bill and growers came through where you would hope to be for the most part. Excellent. 
the importance of that early, as we said in an interview I had with Mel Machado about harvest timing, a timely harvest, since yep. uh, you can get in, into problems quality-wise from getting in there too early. You can't harvest the tree until the nuts are ready. <laughs> Indeed. But any day after that is just more navel orange room damage. Indeed. Jalindra, going back to you, could you fill us in on what you heard from growers when it came to walnut pest management in 2022? Yeah, so uh, I think the comments on the David made the similar situation we're seeing in the northern part of the valley in almonds. So navel orange was active population-wise there. This year, compared to in the last several years, I put the traps, I never caught that many eggs on the egg traps. But it, really, the navel orange is not about the only population out there. It's more about when they come in and what's the stage of the crop there and when we do the timely management. So I think everything wasn't right on track this year. So that's why we got less damage in almonds. And also I want to say as a reminder is that these all navel of population pressure is still in the orchard, is there. So we need to be careful when we interpret these year results for next year because there is always, always population out there and there is potential for damage. So moving on to the walnut, uh, walnut pest management wise, I would start with navel Overall damage by navel onesum in walnuts remains low also this year, and which is a benefit in one way because, because of the price of the walnuts and all the things that grower have to go through the because of that. Uh, the the navel onesum activity in terms of damage wise was pretty low throughout the uh, San Joaquin Valley, northern San Joaquin Valley, to my experience and based on my conversation with the growers and PCA. So that's a, that's a good part. Uh, but again, the same thing in here applies here too, because the pressure is always there. We just need to be uh, cognizant of that, that whenever we plan for management next year. Um, if we talked about the cardling moth activity in last year, as well as this year, it's remained pretty quiet. Um, and uh, throughout the orchard and many orchards that I monitor and uh, many orchards that I got the feedback uh, from the growers and PCAs, uh, it's a very mild, very low uh, carling moth pressure. So in many cases, many instances with the price and everything else, uh, the some of the grower may not even spray once for carling moth. It was that low. So which is a good news. Uh, and uh, I think that's that's the kind of contest of table owns and cardling moth here. And if you have walnut husk fly issue in your water or around you, then that will disrupt everything, given that the management of the husk fly is pretty difficult without doing sort of bracketed, repeated insecticide spray. And majority of the insecticide ads already are disruptive to natural enemies. And because of that, you see the more mite pressure and other, of course, the increased cost of insecticide. So this year... I know that there are some of the gore got the walnut husk fly activity a lot more, just sort of like caught them off guard um, because they did not have much issue in the past. But all of a sudden this year has huge pressure in some of the orchard. 
Another thing about walnut husk fly, it's unique compared to if you talk about carling moth or nebulonja, right? So the walnut husk fly is more like localized pressure. So whenever the condition is there, if you are near to the river, it's a area in the orchard and a certain orchard, for example, light soil has a lot more activity than the relatively heavier soil. And these kind of things and factors are always there, but it's still there are some years there are a lot more damage you get or activity you get compared to other years. And so 2022, I think the husk fly was pretty high activity in general in many orchard and uh, grower hit by this pest. And again, the main thing is controlling husk fly is pretty difficult without disrupting the ongoing IPM practice. And so that's one of the things that we need to focus in the future, how to manage this pest with using maybe some other alternative. That's that's the situation on the walnut husk fly. So if you talk about spider mites, uh, as I said, in our area, kind of like Stensus County, Merced, we did not have that much issue. But in some of the pocket area in San Joaquin County, Gore reported high spider mite activity too, and similar to the Sacramento Valley. So and also, many PCA also mentioned that they are relying on biocontrol in walnuts too, as far as they can in terms of their other management practices for walnut husk fly and other things. But yeah, that's a good news. It's relatively, I would say, light pressure for these major pests that we generally consider. Thank you, Jalindra, for again hammering on that point that I've never really thought that much about, that having walnut husk fly as a major pest in walnuts can really just disrupt your IPM program because we don't have good softer selective material for walnut husk fly. We're kind of messing everything up with the broad spectrums for that specific pest. And then of course, it is nice that uh, the, at least on the entomology front, uh, things weren't too bad for your, for your walnut growers, given that talked about the times are tough financially in Ammons that Times are atrocious in walnuts, so any good news, we'll take it. Sudan, going to the far north here, uh, what did you hear from walnut growers and PCAs? I think I uh, heard what just uh, Talinda mentioned this earlier. I think navel orangeome and hurling moth, very mild pressure. I didn't hear of any big issues with those two pests. And aphid, uh, in general, uh, not a big problem. And husk fly and mites were two major pests for walnuts this year. So uh, mites, like many uh, walnut growers mentioned, they're difficult to control. Uh, several sprays and and uh, because the walnut trees are big and tall, like coverage becomes an issue when you're trying to spray for any pest, like same with the husk fly. And husk fly, again, a consistent problem. So with husk fly, trap catches normally can get low if you don't place them in a right place. So they have to be high up in the tree and then it has to be in a hot spot. So if you cannot select that right place, your trap cats can be low. And that's the kind of problem we have with walnut. And the, the insecticide, we do not get consistent performance. So high tall trees and reaching up high in the tree can be a challenge. And a lot of growers, I think they rely on low volume applications, but if you don't, it's application high on the tree, that also becomes an issue. So there's a lot of consideration. So I think the walnut tree being tall and getting the pesticide 
high on the tree is one of the important considerations when you are making any application in walnuts. Absolutely. Spray coverage is such a difficult thing in walnut production. Quick comment. I've, you know, I've been working with spider mites for 20 years, and there's always this almond versus walnut thing. And my experience in walnuts is pretty much you're dealing with miticides that work on contact that don't contact the mite. Mm -hmm. um, most product failures in walnuts are not a product failure issue. It's a coverage issue. And that's just a, a battle that people with large trees always have to fight, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. As we close things out, Sudan, as you get going with your program here in the North Sac Valley, uh, could you let us know what you're learning from growers on what you'd like to most work on as you research and educate growers and PCAs? As you all know, I just started this question six months ago, and I'm still learning a lot. And uh, I haven't completed my need assessment. And as we all know, it's a continuous process. But as far as I have seen, spider mice is one thing that needs to be focused. So I am planning to do something on spider mice. There are several issues, such as what species we have. Some uh, pieces have started to doubt, like we haven't teased out all the species we have. So that thing needs to be looked at. And with the education program, I think David Haviland has done a lot of work when it comes to spider mite management in Elmond. So I think I plan on like educating people more on what David has found out. So that's one thing. Education-wise, the biocontrol in mites is very important. And I plan on doing something with regards to mite management in both Elmond and Walnuts. Excellent. I think PCAs and growers will be excited for that work in mites and all the other projects that you'll be embarking on in these coming years. It's so good to have you here in the North. Yeah. To add, uh, other than that, Naval Orange Rome and Hosclive, those are always there. So I I plan on doing something on those pests too. But like the, as of now, most significant, the thing that I wasn't expecting to find is mites. So yeah, that's under my radar. Excellent. Jalindra, what have you been most excited talking with growers and PCAs about in 2022? What message have you been uh, trying to, to get across to the audiences you've been speaking to? Mm -hmm. The one thing that I want to say is the same thing that I already alluded somehow, uh, the neighbor owned them wise, the pressure is there. Good thing that we have a pretty good range so far, at least the northern part of the valley. So probably David would comment on the how much they get rent down south. But we have a pretty good start, so that which is challenge at the same time opportunity, right? So you may not be able to go right now in the orchard and do the mommy sanitation. But at the same time, it, it's also helpful whenever you get a chance, you know, in two weeks or five weeks and go and do the winter sentence. And that would be uh, still the foundation of naval engine management. And I think we still continue to doing that because of the naval engine pressure and unpredictable nature of naval engine. We got the relatively good number this year. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hit next year. So that's the one thing that I still want to say that we still continue doing this cultural practice. I know the challenge for the cost and the labor, but as much as we can, I think that would be the best way to do in addition to what other integrated pest management options there. 
Second point that I want to make about brown spot is that I know there is challenge in terms of doing monitoring for the for these bugs in the orchard. So we need to be vigilant and look at throughout the season perspective and monitoring, whether it's through the visual survey or beating tray or whichever way it's possible in order to detect the population enough time so that they can grower can make a management decision. So for brown marmot stink bug, we do have traps, uh, but for the leaf-footed bug and other stink bug, we don't. But still, I think a continuing monitoring would be would still be the best way to detect the population and potential damage and uh, take any management action we need to take, given this increasing brown spot pressure throughout the valley. Excellent. And finally, to finish this out, David, what have you been most passionate about talking with growers and PCAs about this year? Oh, IPM is awesome. You know, IPM and sustainability are awesome. And that, that's been the main message. You know, like I started out with sort of a 20-year perspective, the fact that we haven't even talked about San Jose scale because it's under pretty much complete biocontrol is awesome. The fact that we haven't even talked about peach twig borer that used to be a major, major industry issue it's become irrelevant because of you know production practices and biocontrol. We haven't talked about ants. We haven't really needed to. There's some great baits out there. There's programs to know when to put them on. Um, they're inexpensive. They're environmentally friendly. You know, sustainable practices. That's great. You know, navel orange worm. People know what to do. They just have to do it. And fortunately, mating disruption's been a great addition to that program. And, and as Jalendra hinted too, uh, we have had some some rain starting off this winter. So uh, I know a lot of people that are already out there doing sanitation. You know, last year they waited all winter to try and have some rain to to weigh the nuts down for sanitation, and we never got it. We've already had a little bit, it's been enough to wet some nuts to do some sanitizing. So that's been good. And then you know, spider mites. Yeah, a decade ago, two to three sprays was normal. Defoliation was commonplace. And nowadays, may sprays have become obsolete, you know, unless you have to do a, let's say a stink bug spray early and, you know, whole split sprays, sometimes they're needed, sometimes they're not, but really we've gone from a two to three miticide program to a zero to one program in most of our orchards. All of this is just related to getting off of broad spectrum products using treatment thresholds, monitoring, and doing IPM, plus everything the industry is doing to adopt that and promote sustainability. So almonds are just a phenomenal case study for that. And that's what I've become really passionate right now is just to help the industry recognize how far it's come and how well it's doing, while at the same time making sure people don't get sucker punched by stink bucks. That's the problem of the future. That's the one all the researchers are working on right now. And that's the one all the growers are trying to respond to. Excellent. Again, David, thank you so much for zooming us out. And it's easy to just completely forget about the pests that weren't a glaring problem. And a lot of these just aren't a glaring problem because of great practices that UC and USDA researchers we researched, we found solutions, growers adopted those solutions. They've been excellent stewards of the land in that regard. So really some great success stories there. David, Jalindra, Sudan, thank you all so much for joining me. Our pleasure. Thank you. It, was, it has been a really good conversation. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for listening to Growing the Valley. 
a UC A&R podcast. You can find out more about this episode at our website, growingthevalleypodcast.com. We'd like to thank the Almond, Pistachio, Walnut, and Prune Boards for their support. We'd also like to thank my sister, Muriel Gordon, for writing and recording the theme music.